Okay, just give me a moment here while it's up and running. Okay, all right. I am absolutely so, so excited that you guys were all willing to join me for what I'm calling Testimony Saturday. So let me give you a bit of an idea of what God has put in my heart. You know, what's been happening is there's been so much focus on the storm that's going on around us. You know, people are worried about the economy. What's going to happen tomorrow? Where's the food going to come from? Where jobs, all of these things. And the one thing that keeps sticking out to me is that when, um, you know, Jesus was telling Peter to come out of the boat, you know, and, and then Peter started to sink. And then Jesus said, just look at me, just look at me. And so I really wanted to shift our focus from the storm to focusing on Jesus. Because if there's some, one thing I know about, about my God is that he is always working. He's always doing something. And I just really wanted to encourage people, uh, even for myself, because things have not been easy here either. Um, I really wanted to encourage the people around us with what God is doing in this season. And so that was the original vision for it is that so I wanted to get some people together to share. The other thing that we're going to be doing is that anybody who may be seeing this on Facebook Live, if you got a testimony and there's something that God wants you to share, if you're like, yeah, you know what? I want to testify to what Jesus is doing for me in this season. You know, the word says that, you know, Jesus told us that, you know, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men onto myself. And so really, I just want to lift up the name of Jesus. And so people know that there is still hope, even in this, there's always hope. And I know that anybody who's watching this, you're going to be blessed by some of these stories that we're about to hear because in any situation, there is always hope. You know, for anybody who uh, doesn't know my story, um, you know, I've, I've gone through cancer. I've gone through, you know, losing my uterus. You want to, you want to look, you know, at my testimony, the videos are all posted very publicly on my page on, uh, Instagram. It's on Facebook. It's everywhere. And praise God. I've had the opportunity to share my testimony in multiple countries across the globe on TV, on radio. God has just been so good in allowing me to share my testimony. Um, but Sometimes we forget about the little testimonies. And so, you know, I had a vision for how my next year was going to go in my ministry, for example. You know, it, it's, uh, we, we had some huge victories over the last couple of years. We've been, um, even with Mike and Gwen here who have joined us, Mike and Gwen maybe give us a wave with Vince and Layla over there. Um, we've missioned in uh, parts of the world together in Nicaragua and in Panama. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been into Peru. I've been over into Asia. And, um, you know, God has given me these opportunities. And um, I thought I knew how things were going to go. And then the, the pandemic hit. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen in the season. Because my heart really is that all people would know who Jesus is. That is my heart. I know how he transformed me. I know how he showed up in incredible ways. Um, at the timing of the pandemic, we started to go through some really difficult financial season. 
Um, and in the threat of us losing, you know, our only source of income, which is my husband. Um, and, you know, I was supposed to, I was in the process of getting charitable status and, you know, so fundraising was going to have to be placed on hold. All of a sudden our, our plans came to a screeching halt and that was really scary. And I said, God, you know what? I know you made me promises. So, you know, God, you are not a liar. You've got to show up and you've got to do something. You've got to provide for us. Uh, if you don't know me, I've got four kids. And actually at the time of the pandemic, we had a little girl with us whose mother had traveled to Trinidad because her mom, um, uh, her, her, uh, because her, her grandfather had passed away. And so everything closed down very quickly. So this 12 year old girl was with us. We were taking care of her. We had four students staying with us from China. So in total, we had nine kids in the house and everything was shut down. <laughs> and so I was like, wow, this, and so it caught us really off by God, off guard. And um, we were asking the question, okay, God, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna provide for these kids? And I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm gonna testify that we had on numerous occasions, I'd open up my front door and there were boxes of groceries sitting on my front step. I never told anybody what we were going through, but God knew and he spoke to people and they dropped off groceries on our front step. There was this one particular Sunday, you know, everybody after a few weeks was feeling pretty low. And um, it was a Sunday morning and we were, you know, the worship was on from our church and the kids just were not into it. They were sitting on the couch, just totally disengaged. And my heart just broke because no matter what we're facing, the King is worthy of our praises. And we're, how much more are we supposed to praise him when we're in the middle of our storm? And so I said to my kids, you know what? God honors our worship. And when things are difficult, we need to really press in because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants us to be separated from God's presence because he can't stay when we're in the presence of God. And so I really, you know, push my kids to, you know, just give it to him, whatever you're feeling through feeling right now, whether it's you're missing your sports, your friends, your school, just give it to God and just worship him. And it was about 20 minutes later, there was a ring at my doorbell and um, uh, a couple that we know and very unexpected, we hadn't seen them in months, had dropped off um, hundreds of dollars worth of groceries at our front step and just said to us simply that God has spoken to them. And I just sat there and just wept because at this time there was lines for hours to get groceries. And I just, you know, the thought of having to go get groceries is just so overwhelming, but God just, just sent these people to just bless and bless and bless. Um, and then today we have the, uh, had the honor of being able to serve our King in the same, in the same way. Um, on two or three days ago, um, we were blessed with boxes of croissants and cases of them and 22 or 23 pounds of sliced ham. And I thought, oh my word, <laughs> you know, trying to get as much as I could in my freezer. And then it's like, okay, God, I can't get any more in the freezer. Lord, what do you want me to do? And God had clearly, very clearly spoken to me. And he said to me that I needed to, God provides in excess, not so we can keep the excess, but it's so we can give. And so today, um, the kids and I uh, and my husband, 
Uh, we made up, I don't know, a hundred sandwiches and we were in the streets feeding um, the homeless people. We kept our safe shelter distance. We were gloved masked the whole bit, but um, we fed a lot of people. We went and uh, we found, found a tent city that was hidden where people are sleeping in tents. They've been sleeping in tents since uh, the winter, like all winter. Um, we went and found these people and we just really wanted them to be reminded how much God loves them and that no matter what, God will provide for you. And that's really one of the things I wanted to share today is that, and for anybody who's watching, God is going to provide for you. He sees what you're going through right now and he, he's going to provide. He's, if he's made you a promise, he's going to fulfill that. Amen. Amen. All right. So that's enough of me. I want to hear from Maria. We have Maria with us. Maria, Maria. Okay. So Maria is from Nicaragua. And so her testimony and what she wants to share with us is going to be translated by my brother Vince here in Nicaragua as well. And so Vince, why don't you go ahead and get Maria to share with us what God is doing for her in this season. Hi, Vince. Hey, hi, hi, hi. All right, so let her know. Maria, go ahead and share your story with God. What, what has God done for you? Eh, Maria, pues eh, ahora pues te toca a ti tu turno. Puedes decirnos que tu nombre, quién eres y qué es lo que ha hecho Dios por ti. Ok, mi nombre es María José. Mucho gusto a todos. Hi, my name is uh, Mary José. Mucho gusto a todos. Nice to meet you to all. Eh, primero que nada, quiero agradecer a Christine por ser parte uh, de, de esto hoy. First, I would like to also appreciate and say thank you for letting me be part of this tonight. Eh, bueno, para, para poderles dar mi testimonio, quisiera hablarles un poco breve de, de un poco de mi pasado. I would like to share my testimony about also, in order for me to start talking about my, my testimony, I would like to talk a, a little bit about my past. Amen. Amen. Okay. Eh, bueno, yo crecí en una familia católica. Eh, I grew up in a Catholic home. Sí, eh, eh, estudié mercadeo publicidad. I started no, no. Uh, uh, business telemarketing. Okay, eh, trabajé de modelo. And I also, I also became a model. Por ende, visitaba muchas fiestas, ya sea por trabajo o por placer. And because uh, uh, that job, uh, be a model, they always invited me to go parties and here and there, you know. So I always party a lot. Eh, tengo dos hijas actualmente. I have two daughters now. Eh, una de mis hijas la, tu, la tuve a los 16 años. One of my older uh, daughters, I had it when I was 16 years old. Entonces tuve que combinar trabajo, eh, universidad com y maternidad con ayuda de mi mamá. And also taking care of my daughter at home. Eh, bueno, eh, creo que el primer, el primer llamado que me hizo Dios 
I think the first time that I, I received the call from God. Fue cuando tuve un accidente casero. And when I had a, uh, an accident, uh, basically on the street. Y tuve o oh, se me formó una hernia en, uno, en un disco de la columna. I had a, a hernia in one of my, in, a, in my back spine, in my spine. A herniated disc in her spine, yep. Yeah, a disc in her spine, yes. Yeah, y eh, pasé 12 meses de subsidio de trabajo. And I was there for 12 months without not going to work. De hecho, los médicos no daban buena señal que volviera a caminar. The medicals, they were saying that they don't give me a good, a good signs that I was going to get better. Pero, eh, en ese momento, cuando yo me sentía mal, buscamos, o busqué más yo, porque mi mamá es católica, busqué de Dios. Uh, and that time, I started looking for God. My mom, she, was a, she is a Catholic, but I started looking for the Lord, for the right, the right uh, uh, Lord. Y él de a poco logró, logró sacarme de donde estaba. Comencé a tener and, movilidad en mis piernas, que no la sentía. And uh, my, a little bit of my faith that I have that time, uh, God have helped me and, go, and made me go through all this to get out of there. Pero lamentablemente. But unfortunately. En la inmadurez y la escasez de fe en mi corazón. Because I was, I was so young and I didn't know a lot about, you know, religion or I didn't know enough uh, about the Lord. Y como a veces nos pasa, solucionado el problema, nos olvidamos de nuestro padre. And like a normal human being, the, once God resolved the issue, everybody turned their back on, on God and they forgot about it. Volví a hacer lo que siempre hacía, trabajar. I went back to my always, going to work. Fiestear. Going to start doing what I have to do. Tomar. Drinking. Bailar. Y todo lo que, dancing, o sea, todo lo que no estaba all bien. All the bad things. All the, all the bad things. Luego conocí al papá de mi segunda hija. So, and then I knew, um, I got engaged with my second husband, uh, the, the second daughter that she has. Is from another man. Eh, y a los dos años de relación. Two years of relationship. Viví violencia intrafamiliar. Uh, he was very me, like, it was a bad relationship. Comenzó con palabras, daño it psicológico. verbal, and then psychology to start messing around with my head. Y terminó en violencia física. And then finish and ending with a physical punching and beating me. Recuerdo que siempre dije I remember that I always says yo pude sola y por eso lo dejé. I can do by myself better and that's why I left them. Pero Dios me ha hecho recordar but God has, uh, has me remember it que realmente en cada crisis yo le pedía, dame una señal para dejarlo, para tener fuerza. En every circumstances, I was asking to the Lord to give me a sign. So porque I can no leave him. Porque no lo Because niego. Porque no lo niego. Because I'm not going to tell comienzo, you. In the first, in the beginning. No quería volver a pasar. I didn't want to go 
going through again. Otra crianza de, de hija sin padre. Another daughter without father. I didn't want her to do that like I did with the, my first one. Y lamentablemente eso como mujer a veces no hace soportar muchas cosas. So, and unfortunately, as a woman, I have to be um, there and, and be stronger and with my strength. Pero ahora entiendo que realmente quien me dio la fuerza de decir hasta aquí fue Dios. And I, and I understand now that God gave me the strength to say now and it's ending now. Regresé a la casa de mi mamá. I went back to my pequeña. mom's house. My mom says, come home. The house is, y, is here for you. Y me dije que lo que debía de hacer era dedicarme a mis hijas. ¿Cómo dices? Que decidí dedicarme a mis hijas. Oh, that I, that I, that I choose to dedicate more time for my daughter, to my daughters. Que tal vez esa, eso era lo que tenía que hacer. And then I thought that it was possible that I could do better doing that. Ahora ya tengo varios años sin, sin tener pareja, estoy sola. I've been single mother. Y venimos ahora al presente. Now I'm gonna talk about the present now. Eh, al, hace algún tiempo eh, me dije de que me sentía algo confundida. Uh, a little while back, I was telling to myself, why do I feel so, uh, um, like, confusing? Sabía que aunque estaba con mi mamá y mis hijas, me hacía falta algo. I was uh, talking to my mom and my daughter that it was something that I'm missing. Siendo mi familia católica, comencé a visitar la iglesia jueves y domingo. Obviously, since my family, they became, uh, uh, the, our generation, it was Catholic, so I started going to the Catholic church, right? Pero eso no me llenaba, no, no, no era, no era eso, no era eso. But it was not what I was looking for. I felt that my spirit was telling me, nah, it's not what I was looking for. Quiero mencionar. I que, want to mention. Que ahora entiendo. That I now, I understand. Y siempre me sentí fuera de lugar. That I always feel like out of the zone. Con respecto a una religión o mi fe. And as, as a woman and as a religion, I was so siempre confused. Fui, siempre fui curiosa cuando me encontraba a un cristiano y le preguntaba muchas cosas. I always got a, a, like a, a bad temper when I was asking to the Lord or asking to myself about religion or stuff about that. Y sentía esa paz y esa tranquilidad que ellos me reflejaban y yo la quería. So, and I was talking to my friends that they always uh, talk about God and they always made me feel peace. Esto lo comprobé cuando me separé. A la primera persona que busqué para hablar del asunto fue a mi primo, que es pastor actualmente. Uh, the first time that I talk about this, I talk about it with one of my, my goods and cousin, that he's also a pastor, and he was giving me advice about it. Pero en ese momento de mi separación, todavía no estaba dispuesta como a soltar muchas cosas. Because I was in the process to be uh, separated from my second husband, I was in the process, I was still li li dealing with my emotions. 
y en esa búsqueda eh, volví a tener contacto con un amigo a inicios de año. Uh, and then I was looking and searching in my own. I was looking for a friend or, or somebody who can tell me more about it. I found one of my old friends from back in the day. Christian Leiva. Which he was Christian Leiva. Que me presentó a Vince y Angelita. Which he introduced me, uh, Angelita and Vince. Y ahí se vino el verdadero cambio. And that's when I found the real God. Ellos me invitaron a un entrenamiento. De they parte they del invited me to go to the training to learn how to evangelize. Y desde ahí, no he Since dejado. Then, I have not no, stopped. No he dejado que la llama en mí se apague. I not let the fire in my heart to go off. Amen. And so what I'm hearing from her is that she's realizing Uve. that the, the past doesn't matter, right? That God can use you no matter where you're at. You know, whatever happened in the past doesn't matter. Once you give your life to Christ, he can use you in any circumstance. Sí, eh, no importa tu pasado, no importa lo que hayas pasado, que Dios usó todas esa, esas armas que el demonio atraía contra ti, el, el mal, pero la usó y ahora miras los resultados que son muy buenos. Amen. Amen. Y han sido buenos porque así como he tenido pruebas desde el día cero, I've been, uh, it has been so good, but I know it has been some, some also a process. It yeah. has been a process, a hard process. He tenido bendiciones también. I also have been blessed. Amen. Operaron a mi hija mayor. One of my, my, my older daughter, she got a surgery. Y estuvimos en oración junto con Angelita y Vince, me ayudaron en eso. Vince and Angelita and the whole congregation, we was praying about it. Y no fue tan traumática como la primera vez porque fue la segunda vez que la operaron. And it was not that bad, like the first time. So this one, it was more easy. Y en mis oraciones yo pedí eso y Dios me lo dio. And then I asked to the Lord from the bottom of my heart for my prayers to, so can God hear it? And he has hearing me. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Maria, for Gracias, sharing Maria. your testimony with us. That is, that is so good. God is so good. You Dios know, there, bueno. there's no there's no shame or condemnation from the past. No Once we give our life to Christ, vinieras, we're, we're children. We're children of God. Somos and hijos. the word says Somos that nothing hijos. can snatch us from his hand. Nada nos puede quitar de la mano de él. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to move on to one of our other testimonies that we have here. And I just want to remind anybody. Yeah, so I just want to remind anybody who's uh, who's watching the Facebook Live, if there's a testimony that you have that God has placed on your heart and you want to jump on the Zoom call and share with us what it is, just comment below here in the comments and uh, we'll send you over the link so you can come and join the conversation because what we're really doing here is lifting up the name of Jesus, just shifting our focus from the storm to Christ because that is where our focus always needs to be. When we're focusing on Christ, uh, when we're focusing on Christ, that the the storm around us does not matter. We can be like Jesus, just having a nap in the boat. Amen. <laughs> 
All right. So uh, let's sh let's shift our uh, our focus over to here in Vince's testimony. Vince and Layla, uh, they are friends of mine from Nicaragua, and uh, I know Vince has got a very strong personal testimony, as does Layla. But uh, Vince, why don't you just uh, take yourself off mute and just share what God has placed on your heart? You're on mute, so you got to take yourself yeah. off mute. Okay. Well, thank you guys for having me here, uh, me and my wife, right? We from Nicaragua. I was born in here in Nicaragua. I was born in here and I was raised in Los Angeles, California. Uh, when I was uh, maybe like around nine, 10 years old, my parents took me to Los Angeles looking for the American dream but it's no American dream. <laughs> uh, my parents, when we moved to Los Angeles, uh, they were looking for giving us a better, better life, right? But it was not a better life. Without God, it's no better life. And obviously my parents, they didn't know nothing about God. I don't blame them because a year, a couple of years back, I was searching and looking for the answer for what I'm gonna talk about it today. Um, when I was living in California, my parents, they became so successful. They were having a nice job, always giving me money, always giving me pants, shoes, t-shirts, whatever I was going to ask them, they will give it to me. Thinking that all my pains, all my angriness, and all I need, they can be resolved with money or, or gift. You know, like uh, those parents that they always want to give you a gift and go over there. You know, they don't want to deal with the uh, issues or with the problems or emotional. Um, I didn't grow up in uh, in the high class areas. I grew up in Los Angeles, which is the ghetto ghetto area. Uh, for a while, we was living there. So, of course, every time that I was going to to high school, I was just meeting with some guys in the street and they were smoking, you know, Mary Jane and they were doing their own thing. So, and I was like, okay. So they will follow me and they were always telling me that they I can do better. I can do better than that. That I don't need to go to, to high school. I don't need to do all that, that I can get everything. But in my mind, it was like question to myself, like I had everything. What do I need? Oh, I forgot. I need some affections. I need somebody to tell me, you know, that I'm doing good, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm worth it, you know, that I'm worth it. Everything that I do and patting on my back and say, hey, you're doing a good job. I never heard that from my parents, you know? So the devil is start playing around with my head right there. So it got me and I got involved into the game. I stopped going to school. I started going to um, to my PG. I was uh, I was playing a uh, football for high school. I became uh, not be so social. I was fighting with everybody, angry and everything. So I became arrogant and a bad person. So what I what I did then it was the all my angry, all my pain. I started using drugs and started with the cigarette, you know, um, 
think I was like 13, 14, around that. I started using um, Mary Jane marijuana, and then I started using alcohol, drinking it, and after that, my last drug, it was cocaine. And I got hooked up to cocaine. I was doing it so badly that one time, my mom, she almost, almost found me uh, that I was doing it in the bathroom. She didn't know nothing about it. And to um, one day that I was had a, had a running nose, like all bleeding from my nose. So it was so hard to believe that something so, for me at that time, it was so good that it was taking my pain away, away um, that it was making me feel good that I thought it was the only thing that it would make me feel good. No, I was missing it because the only thing that is, it was making me feel good that I realize now is only Jesus Christ. So, so it was so hard that um, one time I was in the game and they told me to go to uh taking something from one area to another area and it was i didn't know in that backpack it was uh pills like you know uh ecstasy mar marijuana and cocaine and they had me to go to delivery with my skateboard to one side to the other side so i went to the other side of the city and they had me deliver it and they had me to pick up a money. So when I saw a lot of money, I was like, wow, I can continue doing this. But since I didn't need the money, it was not the money who was calling me to be part of that. It was that relationship to be a friend with the, with the, with the guys because I didn't have no friends, like true friends supposedly in those days. So um, after that, I remember the um, the the game and start fighting with the other guys against us, and we was fighting right and shooting and fighting for the area. For you know, the devil is not coming only for only for you; it's coming for you all in terror family. That's like that. The devil worked like that. So they work for. My, Basically, they were working for the position of the territory. And they said, no, man, we're not just going to go after these guys. We're going to go after the other guys. But we need the whole team to go in there in the city. So I ended up shooting at one guy in the back. The guy fell down in the, in the ground, bleeding and everything. I thought that I, it was dead. Thank God the guy he was not dead. I found out after a couple of months later when I was in jail because I ended up going to jail. Before that, I was going to Juggernaut Hall, like in and out, in and out. So this time when I shoot this guy and I realized the, the police told me, we got you. We've been looking for you. And we know that you run this game. And, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, and they said, yes, you do. And if he, you going to pay seven years plus if this guy 
die, we're gonna give you 25. So I was like, oh my God, this is no joke. So I was telling to myself, I was telling to myself, so this is no joke. I'm going to be here for a while. So I said to myself, Beans, this is it. There's no way out. This is no playing around anymore. So because I got so used to it, to going to in and out of jail before, you know, doing a little stupidities. But this time it was very serious. So when I went in jail, I was doing my six first months. Uh, a guy show up in jail, all tattooed all over him, right? And even in his lips, inside in his lips. And this guy, he was covered with all kind of different tattoos. And he was buff. And I was John. I was like 17 years old. And this guy came out to me. And, and every morning, at 4 o'clock in the morning, this guy got up and getting his knees and then started praying and saying, thank you, Lord, because you made me so free. Thank you, Lord. And I was cheering him. And every morning, it was that. So I heard this guy doing that every single day and every morning. And then one day, I asked him, and I said, dude, why are you always saying and declaring that, that you out, like you free, when we are here and, and four wall? And he says, you know why? I'm going to give you a book that I want you to read it, and this is going to get you free. And I was like, okay. I didn't understand. So I was like, all right. So I started reading it, and I was like, wow, this is very, very, like, really, really interesting book, which it was a Bible. So this guy took me to the to inside in jail. We have a church every Sunday. So this guy, he was inviting me all the time. And he's like, hey, Vince, you want to go? And I was like, no, man, I'm going to stay in the room and cleaning and whatever. He keeps asking me every Sunday into one day, the Holy Spirit. I didn't know that it was the Holy Spirit that, that, at that time. But the Holy Spirit um, pushed me out of the bed, get ready, and go with him. I ended up sitting way back in the back seat, like way back which I never done that before. I always liked to be in the theaters, in the movie theater, up front, like kind of like a little bit in the middle, right, to watch a good movie. But with this, this time that I went inside of this church in jail, I sit down all the way in the back, and the guy sit down up front. So he was like looking in the back, and he's made sure that I was there, and I was there. I couldn't even move from that chair anymore because the preacher, the pastor who was like, preaching that day it was like uh, he was talking to me and I was like this guy I was inside in my head he was like this guy probably told him about my story telling about me how I feel and out of the sun I started crying like a little kid and I was like shaking and I was like oh my god what's going on with this and I was trying to get up from my chair and I couldn't get up and this guy he started calling you know doing the calling and, and I was like, oh, my God, what did I do? And I went up front. I went up front. With, like, I don't know, but I just went up front. And that's when that guy started for me. I think we lost you, Vince. And that was the first time that I met. 
Yeah, you're back. Okay, your connection. So what happened when you were in jail, that, that visit that you had that was so okay. impactful in your life? Well, it was tremendous, man, because when I came to Christ um, for my first time, I never felt so much better that all my, my shame, all my, my bad attitudes and everything is just fall off out of my shoulders. Like I feel so light and I feel like somebody holding me and give me the big hug that I never, never experienced before, never in my life. And, and then the second time that I saw literally, literally God's face or Jesus' face, in other words, is when this guy that I shot, he came to jail to visit me. And he came to jail to visit me face to face. His dad, he, wasn't, he was pushing in the wheelchair because he was coming in the wheelchair. The deputy, he opened the door and he says, we got somebody to come in to visit you. And I was like, no, I don't need no visit today because my mom told me she was not coming. My dad said it's not coming until next week. And they said, no, it's somebody who wants to visit you this Sunday. And I went, opened the door. Uh, I sit up in the chair. We all my change in my hand and my, and, my, and my ankles. So I sit down in the chair and I was just sitting there and I look at this guy walking in with, uh, with the, in the wheelchair and he, with his dad. And that time I didn't know that it was his dad, but this guy, he was just smiling like ear to ear. He was just smiling and he looked at me and he says, I'm sorry, brother, because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I was so like, that was the guy that you, the, the kid that, that you shot. had shot. And he yeah. shows up in a wheelchair into the prison and apologizes to you. Yeah. And, and then I was like. And what were you thinking at that time? I, I was so, I was freezing. I was like, like, wow. Did you think you were being set up? Like you were uh, being asked to confess to your crime? In the in the beginning, yes, because I look at I look in the ceiling, I look around, and I saw the the um. I looked at the cameras, and I see the deputy, like next next kind of like next to me. But the because you hadn't gone to trial there. yet, right? No, nothing. They was gonna give me the seven years. They was telling me, you know, you're gonna be here for seven years, and and I was like, okay. So I would just I would start counting, you know, like. You might be seeing it in a movie that people writing in the in the wall. I was writing in the wall literally like day by day. I was having a hard time in my life. And then when this guy show up like that and and told me that he he he's sorry and then he says, Please forgive me. And then he says, We love you. I would like to pray for you. And God bless you. And he hold my hand. He touched my hand and I was like, whoa, that was so powerful. That was another energy that it was comes out, out of that guy. And so at this time, so you're experiencing really what it is to be forgiven for the first time. And you hadn't seen that before, right? Yes. Totally. And so how long ago was this, Vince? This was uh, like 20 years ago? Like around 20 years, yeah. like around 15, 20 years. Yes. 
Yes. So amazing. And so even with a past like that, where you were a violent, you were involved with gangs and all of these things, and you turn your life to Christ and God turns your life all around. And so for anybody who doesn't know Vince, Vince is a powerful evangelist. He's got such a heart for the law, especially youth who are in the streets feeling like they're nothing and no one feeling like mom doesn't care and dad doesn't care. And this man really makes uh, an impact in the streets. And so uh, Mike, I see Mike shaking his head because Mike's, Mike and Gwen have worked with him as well. And uh, I mean, if someone lays it all down, it's really, it's really incredible. I mean, I've had the pleasure of working with you for quite some time. I'm going to, I'm going to quickly brush off of you because Miss Angel has been waiting patiently and I know she's got a couple of little girls who are waiting for her. And so I don't want uh, anybody to lose the opportunity to hear this story. Angel, I have not met her before, but I had the opportunity to connect with her uh, just today for the very first time. And so it's really awesome because I look at you, you look polished, you're beautiful, and no one can look at you and realize what God has restored you from. Would you just take a, a few minutes and just share the incredible testimony of what God has redeemed you from. Yes, absolutely. I apologize for the little rush, but you know how little kids get when it's bedtime. Oh, I First know. Of all, I just got to say thank you for your heart. I love um, you turning everything back to Jesus in your heart to just uh, use your, your platform for, for his glory. So I just want to say thanks. Um, I'm going to get right into it. So my story is called Gangster to Glory, and I use that name because it was given to me by um, some guys in a jail that I would go and speak to. Um, I've spoken in prison ministry for about 20 years. And so they started circulating my story. You start in secure custody and then you go to open and they started sharing the story and they called it Gangster to Glory. And that gives you a picture of the transformation in my life. I'm gonna start here right from the childhood. So um, this story is from 15 to 21, but before that, I was not born into a Christian household. So no one in my family, you know, served the Lord or went to Christian church. And um, at a very young age, I was very spiritually aware. So I would say about four years old or five years old, I had glimpses of hell. I remember being at my babysitters and dancing and twirling around like any little girl singing and closing my eyes. And I would see hell. And what I saw was a black abyss. I remember it very clearly. It was a black abyss. It was like a black hole and there were faces. And these faces were falling. I'm going to show you. They kept falling. And they would say to me, help me. But it was a slowed down audio. I could hear them. And they would say, help me. And there would be a loop. They'd come back around and they'd say, help me. And so when I say to my babysitter, I see hell, she would say, that's a bad word. Don't say that. Now, I can assure you that my parents never taught me at four or five years old about hell. Okay. So um, as I said, I was very spiritually aware. Um, my childhood, my parents divorced when I was six. I went to seven different schools from kindergarten to grade eight. My mom was a single mom and I had a stepfather. So a new person in my life that I didn't love. And there was a lot of neglect and feeling alone because she worked a lot and um, some emotional and verbal abuse in the home as well. And so by the time I was 11, I was severely depressed. And so um, this age 11, several things happened. One was that I heard about Jesus Christ clearly for the first time. And that was through one Christian relative I had. He went to a Lutheran church and took his family there. So it was basically my mom's um, sister's husband. 
he was a Christian. And so I went to church with them. It was, I can't remember it was Easter or what occasion I was allowed to go. And I heard that Jesus was looking for a place to live on this earth and he wanted to live in your heart. And so I recalled that. I remembered that it made sense. And so when I was 11, I had been given a Bible in school and it was a New Testament. And so I knew that I was depressed and I started opening this Bible and it was a topical index and it, you could look up the word depression. And so I knew to go there and I would read it and it always felt better. I don't know that I even understood what I read, but I knew I felt better when I would go there and read this. And so at age 11, I was severely depressed and I decided to lock myself in a closet with a pair of scissors and cut my wrist. Everyone was home. How and old were you at head. this time? You're 11 and you're still farming? So all this activity is happening at 11. Wow. So if you know spiritual warfare and the devil starts young. And so yep. here I am reading the Bible, but I want to cut myself. I locked myself in a closet and all I know is I woke up and I was fine. There was just a little scratch. I don't know how long I was in there. If I went into a deep sleep, all I know is that God spared me. Now, at that age, I also read in this little Bible, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as savior, you will be saved. And so as a little girl at age 11, I remember sitting clearly at the edge of my bed and I wanted to invite Jesus into my heart and I knew it'd be saved. I, I had a feeling it was from this hell that I saw. And wow. so I um, confessed with my mouth. I pictured in my heart a tree house, a kid's little tree house. And I opened the door and I confessed with my mouth, Jesus as savior. Now, the way I'm going to describe it, the way I did it was I opened my mouth very big, very wide and mouthed this three times. So he could see that I was doing this with my mouth. It says, if you confess with your mouth. So I literally was like, I confess. You <laughs> to make sure God saved. saw it, right? <laughs> <laughs> to make sure he saw my mouth was moving. And so um, I closed the door and accepted Jesus. So all this is what's happening at age 11. So I knew that he was in my heart, genuine um, Holy Spirit led salvation. Amen. Now, by the age of 13, I was talking about being spiritually aware. I had an encounter with God. I didn't read the Bible other than that depression never was fostered in Christianity. And um, I, I remember having this dream, but it felt real. That was the way I described it. And in this um, God encounter, God said to me, if you serve me, you can ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. Nice. And I was impacted. The next morning, I remember going to my mother and saying, oh, I need to serve God. Like I got to go to church, but like not your church. You know, the church. And your parents were Hindu, is that what you said? Hindu, yeah. They were Hindu, okay. So my mom just looks at me and was like, You're weird. <laughs> I'm 13. I'm like, but I had a dream. Like God spoke to me, but it was real. But it was a dream. I could not describe it. That was and she just kind of said, You're weird. So later she would allow me to go to church, Christian church, with my uncle again on occasion, Christmas, Easter, and that sort of thing. Now, age 15, I started going to high school, um, age 14. I had my first religion class. And um, I just seemed to know about Jesus Christ. They started with the life of Jesus in my first religion class. It's the first time I'm studying the Bible and hearing about Jesus. And my hand, every time they asked a question, my hand was going up. And the teacher would say, did you ever study the Bible? I said, no. <laughs> and so by the end of that semester, he says, can I have your notes? And so this is, I'm drawing a picture for you of when yeah. you accept Jesus, you know, the word of God is true. It's written on the tablets of your heart, whether you know it or not, like, there's just so much in my testimony, Amen. but also at this age, 
I met someone that was showing my first signs of affection and love, what we long, similar to Vince's story. You know, you were ever validated, maybe affirmed at home, maybe not nurtured. That was what was going on at home. And so there was a young man, he was 18, he lived on his own, a friend introduced us. And this man asked me- so You're to 15 and he's 18. Yes. Okay. And he lived on his own. And he said, why don't you come live with me, you know? And so, you know, the dynamics at home were like, yeah, you know what? I hate it here. Let me go. I'm going to go and move in with this guy. And so um, a sign that I probably should not have moved in was right before that time. He ended up in the hospital because his neck was slashed. And so a 15-year-old girl probably, you know, should have thought twice. But no, I went because I had someone validating me affirming oh, me because he loved you right <laughs> he loved me yeah and so I moved in and when I moved in he his first words were like make this your home just don't go in that closet mm -hmm. so sure enough you bet I felt an eerie feeling every time I walked by that closet so um you know this is a time I'm going to date myself here and age myself when pagers were in we didn't even have cell phones there oh, sorry I've got a little girl here. that's okay I understand um, and so, um, what I, I walked into the apartment and I remember coming home from school and his back is to me facing the balcony guys had jumped the balcony with ski masks. And so I started to clue in that there's something peculiar about this guy. First, I thought it was, he smokes weed. I can deal with that. But then I started to see a little, you know, things that are strange in, in the lifestyle. So he just waves to me back up, get out of here. I go, I leave the place. I don't know when I can come back. I don't know what's going on. All I know is I'm waiting for a page, a coded page, which means you're safe to come home. So wow. I come home shortly after that, after school, I come home again to this apartment and I find out what's in the closet because we're moving suddenly we have to move suddenly you got to move right suddenly we're just packed up and we got to go in that closet was his bank robbery outfit it was ammunition for every gun you can think of it was stolen jewelry and stereos and all the stuff that he had gathered and so i continued and i moved went on the journey with him and i moved because i had someone to eat breakfast with me and say how are you i had someone to to wait at the bus stop for me after school if it was raining i had someone that was caring for me so i stuck in this relationship Excuse me, I'm just gonna tell them this. <laughs> I'm just gonna- No worries. Okay, so um, I had someone that was there with me. So you can imagine, so he lived a life of crime. Not only did he deal, um, you know, weed and smoke weed, but he started dealing other things, bank robberies. And I stuck out with that lifestyle. I started to change. I started to um, become hardened. Deep down in my heart, I did have a conviction, but now it was about survival. My parents had disowned me. So I had no source of family. I ended up running around. We were kind of that couple running the game and we uh, I was with a bunch of guys. It was one girl with about 12 guys, Jamaican drug dealers. And so they became my family. We ate together. We went to the clubs together and I started You're to part of the family hand. that you had been missing. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And I started to, um, you know, live this lifestyle. And so the depression started to come back. And I started to um, lose myself. So, you know, I lost my smile. I started to wear a gold tooth with a diamond cut. I wore, you know, baggy jeans. And, you know, I just I started to completely lose myself. The depression came back, anorexia set in. There were weeks and weeks where all I would eat every day was one apple and um, vying for attention. Because as we were um, running the scene, he became scarce. So he would disappear because he, he couldn't tell me everywhere he was going. 
you have to remember when you're in the scene, you know what's going on. And when you're, you've got so many people under you, you know who's doing what and moving what, where. And, and so he would kind of keep secrets from me. Wow. In a weird way, he was, it turned out that he was actually protecting me in some weird ways. And so um, I remember him going home and he said, I'm going home to visit my mom in Jamaica uh, just for a week. Um, six weeks later, there's no, no sign of him. He shows up and when he comes home, he hides in the closet for a whole day and night. And um, I find out, you know, this, this is a, a big, I go in my freezer and I find a whole bunch of drugs in my freezer. So we manufactured and, yeah, here. <laughs> Close the door. I'm speaking. And we, um, Real life. And so we man, yeah, we manufactured. And so I started to, um, when he would disappear, I got used to having cash on the table. And so when he would go away and, you know, people would show up for drugs, I would hand it to them. I did the handshake. I knew where to hide it. And I stayed in this lifestyle because I had a partner. And, um, when, when the guys would, you know, be at my house and they would have their, um, smoking their weed and, you know, they would start to talk about God and they'd be like, I don't believe in a God because look at our lifestyle. Why do we have to live like this? And my answer was like, I don't know why, but I still believe. I still so believe. So you, all of your, your, your drug dealer friends were all sitting around and they're talking about God. They're saying God doesn't exist, but you're living this lifestyle and you're saying, yeah, but God does exist. Even yes. in that, okay. Even in that, I still was like, wow. no, I still believe there's a God. Amen. And so um, the time where things started to change for me was what, you know, one of the rival couples, um, my boyfriend had cheated on me with them. So the one sign of love, now that was dismantled. He cheated. Wow. The girl said she was pregnant. I was going to retaliate. I had the backup and I was going to hurt. I was going to mark her, you know, gangster thoughts, you know, cut her with a razor blade, let her know you don't so deal with You're going to go cut her face is what you were going to do. You mark her. And yep. so Angie was the name they called me and it was like, okay. So my boyfriend was on board because this is rivals, right? As much right. as they were together, they weren't really together. And so it was all about the rival and you don't know who you can trust. Um, and so um, they had the getaway card and I was in the nightclub and I cornered her in the bathroom and suddenly I literally had the, you know, in my hand, a bottle and I was ready to do something and I time stopped and I heard an audible voice and I saw myself with caution tape and handcuffs. And I heard this voice say, you are worth more. It was wow. so loud. I literally froze and I'm looking at this girl. I dropped the bottle and I back out. I go to the getaway car with all the guys and they're like, what happened? And I just, was numb. I couldn't speak. I don't know where this voice came from, but it was, it was, it literally was like time stopped and it was the loudest thing and it scared me. And so wow. I got in the car, went back home, went back home. Um, you know, I, I started to behave like, you know, what I was seeing, like I pulled a knife on my boyfriend. I cut up his shoes. I'm gangster. Wow. Now I'm thinking if I could just get blood, I will be happy. These are the thoughts I had because right. I was feeding myself the ear gates, the eye gates. I was feeding myself all these things as much as somewhere. I was like, I'm a good girl, but these thoughts were bigger. These feelings were bigger, bigger than what I kind of knew deep down in my core. And so I started to move and think like them. And so um, one of the good, I'm going to kind of wrap it up shortly. One of the good drug dealers, he would send his money home back to Jamaica and help all the poor people in his village. I came home to what a um, good drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, I came home to him on my uh, 
couch and I'm looking at him and I'm like, something's wrong with this guy. What's wrong with you? And so all I could see was black over him. Wow. Now he's a dark skinned black guy. And I'm like, he looks like my sweater. Like, what is wrong with you? And he says, I was just thinking. I said, what are you thinking? He said, there must be a God. So all these years, I was in the scene for about six, six years. All these years, he doesn't believe in God. But this day, he says, I was thinking there must be a God. And I said, really, why? He said, because I should be dead right now. Wow. That night, he was shot and murdered. Wow. And so my immediate thinking was, where did he go? Wow. That a bit? Did he live for God? Wait a minute. Why do you believe in the God the day you die? Does that mean God loves you? And like, I had all these questions. So his funeral, he had a funeral here. He had a funeral back home. And one of the guys that was kind of like the pop papa <laughs> in the group came back and he found Jesus and he's, you know, on fire. He heard the message the preacher must have preached at the funeral. And he's wow. like, you got to change your life. He starts going to church. And um, my boyfriend at the time and I were still struggling because now I had relationship issues. I gave everything to him. And you don't love me. My parents disown me. Everyone that should love me should has abandoned me, has abused me. You know, I'm hearing all these thoughts and, you know, I'm angry, angry than ever. And I, like I said, I stopped smiling. And if looks could kill, I could look right through someone. And he said to me, you, you need help you are psycho. And when a person that does bank robberies looks at you and says that, it kind of hits you. <laughs> wow, that one, that one cuts a little deeper, right? <laughs> cuts deeper. And I thought, wow, I guess I'm not myself. So I'm going to, I'm going to just backtrack. So in the midst of this, I'm hearing voices, just go, go take your life. We lived wow. by the river, you know, the middle of the night, 2am where he's, you know, he has his day job, which is factory. So you work all these shifts. I'm alone all the time. I'm hearing guys scratching at my door, fiending for a piece of crack, calling out his fake name. I can't sleep. I can't eat. The torment was great. And then there's the demonic. I'm going to tell you something. These drug dealers also did a lot of witchcraft. And so I would feel creepy things in my bedroom. One time I felt like something was pulling me off my bed. And I heard wow. this voice say, come, give your life up. Just go jump in the river now. Look at your life. Look at you. Nobody loves you. No one will ever do that. If they don't love you wow. now, the people that are supposed to, do you think it's going to change? Just jump in the river. And so I ran to the door and I'm looking at the river and I hear the sound of the water. And suddenly, suddenly I was like, oh, I'm not psycho. I'm not. I realized that these were not my thoughts, even though wow. I, I couldn't explain it then. And I said, I am not psycho. I need God. I just need Amen. God. And so I ran back into my apartment. I paged my boyfriend. And I said, you need to get home. I was sh literally shaking. I could not stop shaking wow. for about an hour. Physically, I was shaking. I fell to my knees. I grabbed a telephone book and wow. I started flipping through the pages. I was looking for God in a phone book. <laughs> I literally <laughs> was like, I need to get to a church. I don't need a doctor. I need to get to a church. Wow. My uncle took me to a Lutheran church. Look up Lutheran churches. That's <laughs> what I was doing in that moment. So my boyfriend comes home. He's dumbfounded like, what is going on with you? And so I went to bed that night. I prayed a prayer, went to bed. I was able to sleep. But shortly after that, the pop that gave his life to Jesus comes knocking on my door on a Sunday morning, banging on the door. And he says, I have to take you to church. Angel, you, I've got so to this take former you gang member comes to your house and says, I'm taking you to church. Yes. Okay. And he, um, he says, Angie, he called me Angie. I got to take you to church. And I said, okay. He said, listen, I had a dream. I was driving a bus to church 
and the bus would not go unless I picked you up. And wow. so he's literally living out the stream and takes me to church. Well, I thought I went to church, all my club clothes. I mean, the short skirt, the platform shoes. <laughs> I was dance hall queen. If you know the Jamaican you, you were uh, dance hall up, scene. So that's what you were doing. That's what you knew. <laughs> so I go to church and I'm sitting there a little skeptical. There's a man staring at me the whole service. And sure enough, after church, he walks right up to me. And I'm going to tell you like I was thinking. I'm thinking me and this old white man have nothing in common. <laughs> we don't hang out. Like, I don't know why he's going to come talk to me. I had a lot of attitudes. Right. And so he comes right to me and he says, God is speaking to me about you. He had a word of knowledge. And he says, would you let me share it and pray with you? And I was like, okay. So I'm just curious, right? And he says, you are in a relationship that is hindering you from the things God has in store for you. Will you let me pray with you? And right away, that thought was like, wait a minute. There is no way he's in the same scene. How does he know? <laughs> you know we do <laughs> not hang out together. How does he know who I'm dating? <laughs> <laughs> he prays this prayer. I go home and it's like my eyes were opened. I wow. saw that what I thought was love was not love. I couldn't wow. articulate it, but I looked at my boyfriend differently. And then I started to feel these feelings like I wanted to go back to that church. And I had, a, like I said, I had a lot of attitude. I didn't even have a whole Bible. I had a New Testament. But I heard simple things, simple truth the pastor said. He talked about if you sow a corrupt seed, how can you bring forth something good? He talked about if you're, you know, you're sowing corrupt seed, every withdrawal you get is, is not blessed. You're putting your money, he said, in a pocket with holes. And he said, as a man sows, you shall reap. God will not be mocked. He said things like he's the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. What do you need? He will provide. And the last wow. thing he said that really stuck to me was like, one thing God will not do is lie. Hold him to his word because Amen. he will not lie. And so that Amen. was my prayer key. I love prayer. I'm going to teach on prayer one day. I'm telling you. That was my first line of prayer. Hold him to his word. And so when my boyfriend would go to work, I would get up in the morning, grab this little New Testament. And I would say, you see your word? <laughs> this is how I prayed. You see your you're word? You're talking to God. Yeah. You said you're going to provide for me and start to pray about a way out. I was like, God, I want to get out of this. I need to get out of this. I'm going to die in this if I don't get out soon. Wow. Because you have to remember, again, like you're privy to everything and you know all the code, the, the fake names, what the real names, you know everything. I was like, how am I going to get out of here? And so I started to pray that prayer. Sure enough, it was about six years. My parents had disowned me never came to where I lived. My dad calls me and he says, Angel, like call me Angie. I've been thinking about you. I have a room in my house if you ever want to come stay. I'm 21 wow. at this point. Never lived with my dad since I was six. And I'm thinking, that's where I'm going to go. That's a miracle that he even called after so many years. And so wow. sure enough, as time passes, I get the courage to, to face my boyfriend and tell him I'm leaving. And so I look him in the eye and I say, I'm leaving. And he says, where are you going? And I nervously shout, I'm going to find God. I'll be in church. <laughs> and he looks at me and he looks at me and he says, you better be in church. And that was it. Wow. I packed everything that was clean, which wasn't much. I wore a woman's bracelet. It had her name and carved Patricia. It was my favorite. I left the bracelet. I left wow. the clothes. I left everything that was unclean. And I went to my dad's house with my baggy jeans and my gold tooth. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Well, my dad says, you're 21, figure it out for yourself. And so wow. I, I've never lived with him. I left all my friends. I left everything that was familiar. And I'm sitting at my dad's house. Well, the interesting part of this is that 
my dad lived closer to the church than when I was in the gangster scene in Cambridge. Wow. My dad lived in Kitchener. So I moved from Cambridge to Kitchener and that church was in Kitchener, literally like two streets away. And I'm like, that is crazy. So every time I wanted to go back to the scene, I ran to church. I ran to church and I kept running wow. to church. And so my dad says, you need a, a car. And I'm going to share this part because for a lot of us that have come through these kinds of stories, you want to hear how God provides. I literally said, God, if you are not better, then I'm going right back to the scene. You know, wow. I know what it's like to have cash like this. I understand how this works. You have to be better. You have to be better. And so I tested God and, um, you know, I needed a job at 21. I thought, okay, what am I going to do? I applied for a job. And they called me and they said, we want to forego the interview. I was like, okay, great. They said, you're hired. You're just hired. Wow. I was like, wow. And so I started um, thinking, okay, I got a job now. I need a car. So I go to Honda. Shelby Corman is the um, sales guy. He says, Angel, do you have a full-time job? I said, no. He said, do you have a down payment? I said, no. He said, have you been employed for more than three months? I said, no. And he said, well, what car are you looking at? I'm like the brand new one. It still has, you see the one with the plastic still on the wiper? And he says, give me a second. He comes back and he says, I'm throwing all my commission in. Take the car, make the wow. first, first payment in a month. And so I'm saying this because God was just showing me like, I have favor on you, but I will provide. You just got to know me. You just have to, you know, get in with him and have faith. And so I started to walk that out. Um, I was going to that church, you know, and my parents, I was like, I need to, you know, share this gospel with, of Jesus. So I was like, I still have to make more money. So I shared this with you. I was hustling. I, I was going to hustle in a clean way. So I was like, <laughs> I do makeup. I do manicures. Tell everybody I am working for my money now. <laughs> and so my sister uh, says, do Catherine, my neighbor, do her pedicure. I do hers. Catherine says, why don't you do my sister constable D of the region of Waterloo? Where a, we a, a police officer, a police officer. Why don't you do her pedicure? So I do her pedicure. And while I'm washing her feet, she's like, you look familiar. I said, oh, she said, have you ever been in trouble with the law? I said, no. Now that's part of the detail of the testimony that if, you know, I would share it another time of how God just kind of protected me and all you this. Were, you were never tech, you were never caught. So you have no caught. record. My boyfriend wouldn't let me take the drugs. Like I was, God just used it. But yet the <laughs> officer recognized your face. She recognized me and she said, uh, I hear you're 21 years old. You're teaching Bible studies. You're always at church. And like I said, I ran a church. She said, why? Why aren't you doing other things? I said, well, I did other things. And church is what keeps me straight. She said, oh, when you did other things, did you live in Cambridge down by the tracks and move up by the river? Wow. And I said, yeah. She said, there was one cute little girl running around with all these Jamaican drug dealers. It was you. And she said, we wow. had your pictures, your pictures on the wall and you disappeared and in that very moment when she wow. said that I realized that there was purpose to my life I realized wow. there was a divine orchestration I realized his purpose would prevail I realized there was value this God when I accepted him at 11 years old he kept his promise I walked away like I it all just made Ooh. sense in that very moment of like me, I always share that story, you know, no matter how messy the $20 is, it's still worth $20. Someone wants it. Well, Christ, God himself made me much more valuable than that. And he still wow. wanted me in that moment. So when she said that you just disappeared, I thought this is nothing. 
but an orchestration, a miracle, a wow. hand of God who's saying, I knew you and I purposed wow. you and I designed you and that is going to stay on your life. And so at that moment, I decided I'm going to preach this gospel. And so I started telling it. everybody, I'm going to go, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to study the Bible. My parents again were like, what are you doing now? And so I had been hustling, doing manicures and pedicures. I'm going to share one more thing. And um, I went to church and I was like, applied for school. I got into Bible college. Again, wow. I have no money. I'm like, he's greater. I have faith. I've started quoting the scripture. One thing he cannot do is lie. I was like, you're the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. You will provide my needs. And so I went to church. My bags are packed. I'm leaving for school on Tuesday. I'm at the Sunday church service in the morning before leaving for school. I have $60 to my name because wow. I had gone on a mission trip. And so I come back. I'm like, got to hustle. But school starts. There's no way I can work this out. But I know I need to understand his word. And so the pastor says, you know, we want to bless you before you go. And he says, and there was a couple, I still don't know who they are, left you a check for $2,000 before you go to school. I was like, hallelujah. I was like, wow. awesome, God. But I know you, that just covers tuition. Wow. I need rent and I need books. And so I wow. go back to church in the evening and the accountant was away. She comes back from vacation. She says, I hear you're leaving for school. I said, yeah. She says, come to my office. She handed me a check for $2,500 two day, wow. days before I go to school. And the reason I'm sharing this is because with a heart after him seeking wow. him, I had no idea how this God was going to provide better. But here wow. I am telling the story of how he provided way better, much better, blessed beyond. And he kept, he kept doing that. So I saw how my $5 stretched, my $60 got me to school, how a job was given to me twice without interviews over the phone. It just kept going. And so I did not go back because he was so much better. And that peace that I found and the understanding that I was valuable. I didn't need that man or anybody to affirm me. I literally got it from Christ himself. That's my story, Gangsta the Glory. Wow, what an incredible story, Angel. And oh man, God is so good. He just relentlessly pursues us despite us and despite what we're doing, despite our rejection of him, he just relentlessly pursues us in just such an incredible way. And I'm just, you're giving me goosebumps as you share your story. And I think that is just so incredible uh, what you shared. Can you just share, just like take one more minute. I know you got to run because your babies. Can you just, just share with me just one minute where God has brought you today, like what you, you, you mentioned to me very briefly, you just started a, a ministry before the, this, this, this nonsense of a storm that's happening right now. Can you just share with us? Because I, I know that obviously your story is going to impact the, the nations uh, as God has, you know, he, he doesn't give you a big story like that just so you can keep it for yourself. That's one thing that God has shown me. If you're, if you're carrying a testimony of that size, it's because other people need to hear it. And so can you just share with us really quick what you're doing right now and the path that you're going down? Yeah. So from 21 to now, I've been just, you know, I've had seasons of ups and down, but I've been, you know, convicted to share what he's done and to preach this gospel. So Amen. just before this whole Corona virus, um, a, a couple months before God was like, launch out publicly. So I literally am building a website. I have a team that God is bringing together. I have a passion to take the gospel. I'm writing my second and third parts of the testimony, because as many of you know, there's still residual issues that pulled me back. And so I've got parts two and three I'm working on right now. I'm doing just some live Facebooks, just sharing simple teaching. Yeah. 
that I call soul food. I'm starting, um, you know, I had plans to do a show called soul food sessions with angel, where I just give you some soul food. Cause that's all it was for me. Someone just speaking simple truth of the gospel. And so, yeah, my heart is to take the gospel as far as I can share, um, the testimonies and like where mm-hmm. I started the, the word, the teaching of the word, everything mm-hmm. has to be hinged on the word. And so I have a passion for teaching and preaching his word. And so Amen. I'm kind of praying it's that and we'll see where we go. <laughs> Angel, yeah. we're going to keep praying for you. I just want to really you. thank you for taking your time and I, to, to share with us your absolutely incredible story. We're going to be sharing this all over the place. And I just know that there's somebody who's going to sit down and hear your story today, be just tremendously impacted by your story, that it doesn't matter of your past, you know, God just meets us where we're at and he walks us through it. So thank you so much for your time. I look really forward to connecting with you, uh, like personally, really soon. And even before that, we can sit down, you know, across from each other. I really want to connect with you because girl, uh, God bless you. God. Well, God bless you all. Thank you. I'm going to jump off. Thanks. Have a good night, everyone. Bye. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Wow. Such an incredible story. So if you're watching on Facebook right now, um, even if you're watching the, it after the fact, after, you know, you know, I just want to encourage you to reach out to us. So if there's anything, any way that we can pray for you, if there's a testimony that you want to share, because I know there's so many people that carry really uh, incredible testimonies. They don't have to be big, like you were a gang member. I mean, it's even, there's such power. And even in the small testimonies, there's power in that. And somebody needs to hear um, in, in, in even in those small ways, how God provides and just to give encouragement to people around you. I want you to just be encouraged to, you know, push back against that fear because there's such power and God is not, you know, in the fear, you know, he, he did not create that fear. You know, there's power when we open up our mouth and do it afraid, even speak out, even if you're afraid, because God will use that and he can use your testimony to bless other people. We also have uh, some really great friends of mine, Mike and Gwen Hagefeld. They are joining us from uh, the my one of my most favorite countries, Panama. Um, I met Mike and Gwen, turns out it was only a year ago, but if you wouldn't have asked me yesterday, I would have said that. I actually met them several years ago because it feels like that because we've, we've done some pretty incredible things together. Uh, let me just give a little introduction to Gwen and Michael. Um, they randomly, I don't even really understand how they emailed me one day and heard that I had something to do with Panama. And at the time uh, I was running a, a ministry over there, sharing the gospel, planting churches, working with the indigenous in the jungles. And Mike and Gwen said, Three years ago, God said I needed to go to Panama and I don't know anybody. So I got your name from somebody who knew somebody who heard about you. So, uh, you know, and I simply said to them, well, I've got a trip in three weeks. You want to come with me? And man, this power couple said, yep, we're all in. And next thing you know, three weeks later, we're in the middle of the Panamanian jungle in the Darien Gap, bordering Colombia in rainy season. And we were trekking through a ton of mud and floods and dealing with snakes and mosquitoes and living in huts. And, um, and so since then, we've actually traveled to Panama together on mission, working for Jesus, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, um, the north, south, east, and west. Uh, I think I traveled with them four or five, six times. I don't even know. Um, and they actually made the decision this just past September to uh, move to Panama 
and just do what God has called them to do. So Mike and Gwen, thank you so much for joining us uh, and sharing some of your story. I know that um, coronavirus nonsense has kind of put a hamper on uh, what you envisioned yourself doing, but even again in the storm, God is good. So why don't you tell us about that? Well, yeah, uh, yeah, we did. Like you said, we did arrive in uh, the first part of September um, in 2019, and we we had just, you know, in January, kind of got settled down here in Panama and got got our feet wet doing some ministry work. We were working with an organization called God's Eyes, and we were on the ministry team on that. And what God's Eyes did is they gave free glasses to people. And then we would pray for them and share the gospel with them. And, and we saw many miracles of healing. We, we saw many people come to Christ through that. And we were working in a town about uh, 15, 20 miles away from us. Uh, and on the first day, 600 people showed up and we could only handle 260. Wow. And so we were all prepared the next day to come back and finish that up. And the government shut down any meetings. Wow. And so that shut that down. So, uh, something that we thought was going to carry us through for a while, uh, ended up just one day it was there and the next day it was gone. Wow. And, and this so, was just this past February or March? Uh, huh. It was in March. Yeah. It was in March. Okay. It was um, the 10th of the March. 10th of March. Okay. And, um, you know, that was basically the first the first case in Panama. They, they shut uh, yes. things okay. down. Uh, so we, uh, we sat around the house for a week or so. And then uh, we got a call from uh, our pastor and, and said that, that uh, this other couple that goes to our church who have been missionaries for 27 years, they were planning on going out and delivering food to people because it was getting hard for people that, that didn't, you know, couldn't work to have food here in Panama. And so we said, sure. So we went and we made up a hundred bags of, helped to make up a hundred bags of food. And we were going to go out the next day and deliver that. Mm -hmm. And the government shut that down. Wow. So well, here it is two times we've been shut down. So uh, it was two weeks ago, this past Monday, uh, Gwen and I, we've been sitting at the house because in Panama, they limit you to two hours a day to be out of the house. Uh, and nothing, you can't go out of the house on Sunday at all. And, and then, it's every other day for male and female. So you guys can't even go out together. Your quarantine, what they're doing in Panama is very different than what we're experiencing in but, Canada, different than the U.S., different than Nicaragua, which doesn't have any quarantine. Um, but, uh, so you're allowed every other day to go out for two hours and that's basically for your essentials. So right. your groceries and that's it. Groceries are medicine. Yeah. That's. And so how are you, how did after what's it been a month and a half of this, what kind of toll did that take on you? Uh, it was, it was getting pretty tough because, uh, you know, we're, we were, we were really feeling worthless, you know, as far as missionaries, we go, Lord. And so, Two weeks ago on Monday, Gwen and I just broke down in prayer and we were crying out to God and goes, God, you know, we sold everything we had. We moved to Panama to do your work. 
Lord, what are we supposed to do? And the next morning at seven o'clock, we got a call from, from uh, Cindy and Dan Salas, which is the couple that's been doing ministry work. And they says, hey, uh, I was able to, to get my permit to go out and deliver food. And so wow. he bought enough stuff and we, we packaged 200 bags of food and vegetables to take out the food for 200 people. And the people and, in your area, your barrio, your community, they are really suffering right yeah. now. Isn't that right? Yeah, because they, they really nobody are. can work. Nobody can work. Uh, and, you know, most of the transportation in these rural areas was public transportation. Most of the Panamanians didn't have any cars. And so, and to get to the nearest town to get groceries is an hour bus ride. And so, so is there no public transportation operating? Yeah, and they shut that down. So they can't even get access to food. They can't get no. access to food. Wow. So in, and so in the last two weeks, we've been able to deliver 450 packages of food wow. to people that, that had no food. So God wow. has blessed us in that. And uh, the blessings are, are amazing. Uh, when, when you walk up to somebody and you hand them a bag of food, this one lady, I handed a bag of food to her. And as I got within about 10 feet of her, she just started crying. And she wow. goes, uh, she goes, that tells us that, uh, you know, her husband was working, but they didn't have any transportation to get groceries. And they have four kids and wow. they were out of food. And they're and, an hour away uh, from. Yes. And so it's, it's not, not like they can walk or they, yeah. you know. Wow. Uh, from where they're at, it's probably an hour and a half away. So. Wow. So we've seen stories like that all through this. And then uh, another time we were, we were just driving down the road. We were letting the Holy Spirit guide us and where we needed to go. And we see this long road. And so we, we look at each other and we go, okay, well, let's, let's go down there. And at the end of that road was Teen Challenge. And they have 50 young men that are going through drug and alcohol rehab there. And they were, wow. they were in desperate need of food. And we were able wow. to provide them with food and so that, that God has just blown the doors open and, and we've been blessed so much. So what yeah. I'm hearing is really you sitting saying, God, like here I am, use, yeah, me. use me, Lord, make a way. And yeah. at the same time, all those people are crying out, Lord, I've got to feed my kids, make a way. Yeah. And then God just does what God does. So our, our two hours a day has ended up being from seven o'clock on Thursday and Friday to nine o'clock at night. So now you have a permit to be released so you can go yeah. and bless the community and provide very essential uh, yeah. foods and vegetables for, for these people. And wow. so uh, we were delivering food uh, this uh, Thursday and we were going to uh, one of the uh, indigenous people. They have a, a, a camp where they work for one of the, the uh, food providers here. And uh, we went there to, to, to play music, to share the gospel and to give them food. And we pull up and we're setting up the equipment and these two policemen show up. Wow. 
So, you know, we're and here. the police in Latin America are very different than the police yeah. in North America, yeah. just to be really clear. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. oh, the police are here. Like, we wouldn't be so, you know, nervous here. Yeah. But in Latin America, it's a different story. Yeah, they're arresting <laughs> people for, for breaking curfew here and taking yeah. you to jail. So um, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. I mean, it's a big deal here. So, yeah. Uh, and so, I, I, but Dan, hands him the paperwork and he goes, I don't want to see the paperwork. We're here to help you. The so police what? officer said he's coming to help you, not That's arrest you like he's been awesome. doing. They came to help you. Yes. Wow. So wow, it, wow, wow. It's been an amazing trip the, the last couple of weeks. And uh, wow. when you ask, when you hold, like Angel said, when you hold God to his word and to his promises, then, then he delivers he delivers and big time Amen. god you sent me here and it wasn't to sit on my behind lord i'm here on mission to work for you and god says you know the the bible tells that the holy spirit's you know searching the earth for willing hearts and he found that in you and you know i that is just so beautiful and i love that you know the common thread amongst all of these stories is that just that that moment where we just said god help me you know, yeah. like, you know, when Maria called out and when Vince called out and when I was telling my kids, like, you know, God needs to honor, sir, on, God honors your worship. It doesn't matter what the storm looks like. Turn your focus over to Christ. And, you know, with Angel, uh, her amazing story, you know, when when everything was coming at her and she's living this terrible lifestyle and she wanted to escape and how she just called out to God. And then this beautiful story where you're saying, like, God. I just use me, you know, and, that we know that yeah. there's people suffering. And one of the things that I think I, I would like everybody that sees this to, to realize is that through God, there is hope. And yeah. that uh, those that uh, are, are in so much fear right now and have no hope, you know, they're out of work mm -hmm. and all of these things. God's lay, it before, lay it before God's feet like angel amen. amen amen and that's that that is really the message whether you're whether you're a gang member whether no matter where we're at god will he just loves us and there's always hope no matter what the past no matter what we've done no matter what we've gone through god is always always there for us and really all it takes is it's just stopping and saying, God, here I am, help me. You know, Jesus met Vince in prison. Uh, Jesus met Maria, you know, in, in the street, she said. Uh, yeah, Angel, she was this, you know, this child at 11 years old that she knew nothing, but then went on to live a life of crime. And all she did was just in her house say, God, help me. Help and me. he showed up. He showed up in really incredible ways. Wow. So if you're watching this, I just want you to be encouraged that no matter what we're going through, there is, there is always hope. And his name is Jesus. You just got to call out to him and um, be prepared because he will show up. He will provide. And he is the God that, that understands all. So I just want to thank you guys for joining us, joining us today and sharing your testimonies and just changing our focus again from the storm to Jesus. And so I hope that everybody who's watching has been blessed by this time. Thank you so much, Maria. Gracias, muchas gracias por uh, tu tiempo, Vince and Leila. Te amo mucho. Gracias. Uh -huh. Mike and Gwen, God bless you. I love you guys so much. Love you guys. Every one well. of you. <laughs> God bless nice you, everybody. Nice to meet you too. Nice to meet you too.
Oh, Maria. Maria. Thank you, Maria. Thank you to all. God bless you all. Good night. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.